Women are dealing with a lot. Anxiety, imposter syndrome, parenting during a pandemic. All of this stress is bound to affect women's mental health. In this episode, I speak with therapist Jenny Manpa on what issues women are facing when it comes to navigating life and how women can work towards self-actualization. I think you're going to love this episode. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today I have Jenny Manpa, who is a clinical therapist, women's leadership coach, and number one best-selling author who works with women all over the world to uncover their own value systems and learn to design their dream lives through her practice. Love it. She has her practice Forward in Heels which I love the name. I think it's so fantastic. And on top of that, she's also the host of the podcast Feminist AF. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here too. I think you're going to offer so much value to our listeners and I'm excited to get right to it. And you know, I was excited to talk to you because you are passionate about two of my favorite topics and that is women and mental health. As people may or may not know, I also run Lola Retreat, which is a women and money event. And obviously this podcast, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. So, you know, supporting women and breaking the stigma around mental health are really two of my big passions. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your story and how you became so passionate about these topics. How did you become an advocate? Yeah. So um, actually, you mentioned the name of my company is Forward and Heals. And, you know, I was working in mental health. I was working in community-based mental health, um, juvenile justice, victim services, and I almost exclusively worked with women. Women are disproportionately victims of crimes. They are the caregiver for, you know, when I was working in juvenile justice, like they were the often the sole caregiver. And I just saw how it really is a women's issue, mental health. And obviously everybody has mental health struggles and, you know, challenges and everybody could benefit from really doing those deep dives, whether it's with a therapist or on your own, but women disproportionately bear the burden. And fast forward to COVID, women are also the ones who work in education, in childcare, in service jobs, and they're the ones who are now out of work and being the caregivers. So I was turning 30 and I had been working in this field for uh, close to a decade and I was burning out. I was doing so much. I was just, you know, I'm a social worker and in school, there's really this unspoken idea that if you aren't giving everything and then once you're empty, giving some more, you're really not doing the work. And there's this really unhealthy mentality in therapists that, you know, it's like you shouldn't make money doing what you do. You shouldn't ever want anything like a vacation or a weekend. You should just be giving, giving, giving. And I was burning out. And so I'm turning 30 and I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, 
I'm going to leave this whole field completely. So I took a step back. I had some really lovely friends and colleagues who were also in, also in the mental health field. And they were like, well, what if you didn't only do it the way you do it? What if you worked with people who wanted to come to you, people who had different kinds of experiences than the ones you're working with now? And I was like, I didn't know there was a version of this that isn't a crisis trauma, just get you back to functioning and send you on your way. And so it opened up this whole idea for me that women like me are allowed to want help. They're allowed to want therapy, even if they're not in the most traumatic, most crisis-filled situation. We can also just want our lives to be better. And so I thought about who did I want working with me when I was in my 20s that I never got? Who was the person that would have put me on the path that I just didn't have? And so there's this um, old cartoon and it's this woman and these two men and they're all standing in line outside of a marquee to a movie theater. And on the marquee is a, a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie. And she turns to the men behind her and she says, well, yeah, he was great, but she did everything he did backwards and in high heels. And I remember thinking like, yeah, why is it backwards though? Why do we have to mimic men? You know, you think back to like the shoulder pads of the eighties, like literally trying to be linebackers like men. And even now, <laughs> yeah, you know, like the modern language is like lean in and power pose. And it's like, what if you're not aggressive? What if you don't have masculine energy? What if you want to lean into your, your femininity or your energy, whether that's more caretaking, caregiving, collaborative? What if you have a different version of this? And so I really wanted to speak to that version of women, the woman who was me 10 years ago, who was like, yeah, I'm smart and ambitious, but I also want to be able to see my friends and family and have weekends. And it's okay that I don't want to live in the office and make a million dollars and just be out there being this like, you know, alpha. What if I want to do it differently? Yeah, I think that's so important. And you really recreated this vision of what it can be, you know, to be in therapy and to be successful. And I love your focus on women. And you kind of touched on that women are affected more with mental health. And I read that women are more likely to develop an anxiety disorder. Why do you think that is? And how do you help your clients dealing with this specifically? Yeah. It's like so many things. I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. So I do think that there is some biological evidence that women, um, their stress hormones react differently. So they've done studies on infants within their first weeks and months of life and women or baby girls respond to facial expressions more and baby boys respond to movement more like mobiles. Hmm. And so there's a, there's a hardwire of reacting empathetically to someone else's unspoken, you know, facial expression or behavior. And then the other side of that, and so there's there's the biological um, stress hormone, which is that when men are in a stressful situation, you know, we know the term fight or flight, and the stress hormones that are released in them are like, you know, um, adrenaline and epinephrine and nor norepinephrine. And those are action hormones. Women tend to respond to stress by producing something called oxytocin, which is actually the hormone that is also produced during childbirth and during orgasm. And so what that does oh. is it, yeah, they call it um, tend and befriend, which is the opposite of fight or flight. And so they respond to stress by promoting attachment. You know, are my kids okay? Is my family okay? And what that means is they can often in a stressful situation respond by looking out for others. So then that actually can harm them if maybe like, you know, if you think of an actual situation of like a fire or something, maybe they're going back for someone or for something that's maybe more sentimental, whereas men maybe are running away from the danger. And so some of that is biological, but then it's how do we, how do we condition that in life? So very early on, adults 
treat girls and boys differently. They encourage, you know, risk-taking and adventure and aggressive behavior in boys. They encourage them to get dirty and to jump and to break bones. And they encourage girls to be careful and to be safe and to play with each other. And, you know, so then we internalize these messages really early on of these gender roles that exist. Then you get into school and girls are really good at school. Statistically, girls are completing K through 12 and higher education at higher rates. And the part of that is because school is really designed for um, you to be quiet and docile and follow the rules. You raise your hand, you get in line, you do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, you know, you go here, you do that, right? Girls, great, raise your hand, get the A, got it, gold star. Boys, if you've ever been in a classroom, shouting out, jumping on things, knocking things over, throwing spitballs at each other. And in school, that's not rewarded. But in life, we call that being an entrepreneur. You know, they're risk takers, they're, you know... So, so much of this is there is an, an origin and then there is how we condition it in the world. Yeah. If I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you are talking about this chemical difference that, you know, is between men and women and then also this cultural conditioning as we grow up. And I think that can have a sweeping impact on mental health. Yep. And if you want to tie it to money, you know, men are taught to invest and women are taught to save, right? That aggressive versus cautious. Oh, that is so interesting. Yeah, that's true. I feel like women are more cautious when it comes to investing. And I've often wondered why that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, so during COVID, I'm part of another women's group called Ladies Get Paid. And Claire, the founder, had a, uh, I guess you call it a round table or a, you know, town hall, whatever, about getting PPP money for small businesses applying for the Paycheck Protection Program. And she was talking about how she had just been in a call with a bunch of other female founders, and all of them were reporting anecdotally that their boyfriends, spouses, husbands were getting approved for the PPP money, and they weren't. And she was like, wait a minute, this cannot Mm. be this obvious. It cannot be that (laughs) there's just this much sexism, right? And so they sort of dug deeper, and she said the thing that seemed to be the common thread was that the men had existing relationships with their bankers because they are borrowing, they're taking on debt, they're investing, so the banker would know them. And so if you have 100,000 applications for money coming across your desk, but you recognize that guy's name, then maybe subconsciously you push him to the front or you just approve it because you know that this person doesn't have to prove X, Y, and Z. But if you know if the women who were really saving and really not investing and not taking risks, well, they're just a name on a piece of paper. So that was the conjecture. I just thought that was a really interesting hypothesis. Hmm. It's all about who you know, and that's definitely proof there. And I hope those women got the PPP money. I know these are such difficult times for everyone, especially entrepreneurs, and that can have huge impacts on mental health and financial health. And I think everyone is struggling right now with that. Yeah. So I also wanted to talk about um, imposter syndrome. So the one thing I really love about your practice, Forward in Heels, is that you are focused on therapy that you you don't have to be in crisis. You don't have to be at the end of your rope. You don't have to have some kind of defining experience, you know, that you have to go to therapy, you can go to therapy just to improve yourself. And I love that because I'm totally pro therapy and think everyone should go whether you think you need it or not, because it's so helpful to talk to a third party who's not your friends, who's not your family, and can give you unbiased advice and kind of help you see things in a different way. So you work with a lot of um, women and something that I've been seeing again and again and again through Lola Retreat and the women I connect with is this idea of imposter syndrome. So there's this feeling that, you know, I'm not worthy, I can't do that. 
Is that something that you've seen in your practice? And, and what is your advice to combat that? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think the, the antidote to that, I call her like the mean girl in your head is evidence. And what I mean by that is, let's say you're at work and you make a mistake and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. I'm the worst person. Like I'm this whole company, I'm going to take it crashing down with me. That's the mean girl being like, you're a failure. You're not good enough. Take a step back. And what's the evidence, right? What has somebody else said to you, whether it's your boss, your colleague, go back to your annual review. What were the pieces of, of constructive and supportive criticism and feedback in there? Like You'll find that it's never the catastrophe your brain says it is. And so I always go back to evidence. And so to use a personal example, let's say you are like, I'm, I, my relationships are always you know, falling apart and never getting off the ground. And I'm the only common thread. I must be the bad person here. I must be the failure. Like I'm unlovable. I will say, okay, I want you to pick three friends, family, people who love you and ask them why they love you. And people are like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm not doing that to the people in my life. And I'm like, they already know why they love you though. You might not know exactly why. Let them tell you. And that's evidence too. It doesn't have to be written. It doesn't have to be a formal evaluation, but we are so, again, biologically hardwired for worst case scenario, which makes sense, right? If you go back to cave people, it's like, okay, if I see a shadow and I don't know if it's, you know, a lion or a cat, if I prepare for the lion and it's just a cat, my family survives and we survive and humanity survives. If I don't prepare for the lion and I assume it's a cat, then we're dead. That has not updated for 2020. So our brain catastrophizes things that we have absolutely no control over. It makes sense that we're dealing with this kind of like hard wiring that's been, you know, focused in this one particular way for so long and it hasn't updated given the new circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, we really, we still respond in that, um, you know, social scientists have uh, expanded this fight or flight to fight, flight, freeze, fold, or fawn, which is kind of a mouthful. Oh, wow. I didn't know they <laughs> added that. Yeah. So the last couple ones, so freeze are, um, imagine being in, uh, you know, cars careening towards you and you just freeze as opposed to like run away or, you know, the fawn is an interesting one. And it's, it's, I find it more in women and it is complimenting. It's, um, as soon as you see that something is coming towards you that is critical or, and you just panic because you can't, um, you, for whatever reason, your defense mechanisms, your historical experience, your traumas, like you can't hear what that person's about to say. You immediately start being like, oh my God, I love your hair. Oh, it's so good to see, you know, deflecting and distracting. And fold is one that we often see in sexual trauma, which is uh, compliance and pliability. And so when we think about all the ways in which we've been conditioned to believe that we respond to trauma, it's really been fight or flight. And then there's so much more to add into that where those last couple ones of fawn and fold, that ties into imposter syndrome, right? If you just tell someone what they want to hear, if you just, you know, make it safe for you to, to keep existing, then you'll survive. But then it means that you start to lose a grasp on what is your truth and what you need to do to help someone else feel okay so that you can continue existing. Totally. And I'm so glad that you mentioned trauma because I think that is an underlying issue for so many people, probably everyone in a different way and really affects our behavior. And actually, I just finished the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which was yes. so fascinating and all about trauma. It just blew my mind. I mean, it was a difficult read because there are very traumatic, difficult experiences mentioned in the book, but it was so insightful to hear how it literally reorganizes your brain. It affects the way you relate to others. And you really have to, 
you know, be cognizant of how you can kind of change those patterns because after your brain gets reorganized, you know, you have to reorganize it kind of back to a different way. Yep. And I'm so glad you said it like that. First of all, that book is amazing. Everybody should read it. Um, but exactly, we think it only goes in one direction. Okay, well, I used to not be traumatized and now I'm traumatized and my brain has been reorganized the end. No, you can now re-reorganize it. It might not look like it did before the trauma or before whatever experience you're talking about, but it can look different. We we have this idea of being fixed in our state of being like, oh, I'm here now and the way it is is the way it always will be. No, because the way it is now wasn't the way it was a year ago. So a year from now, that doesn't have to be true either. Totally. We have this concept of neuroplasticity, something that I just learned a few months ago, and I've just been obsessed ever since. And this idea of neuroplasticity really says that we can reorganize our brain in a different way. And, you know, it used to be thought that people who had a brain injury, they had to really work hard to reorganize their brain, but they realize that anyone can take steps to kind of reorganize their brain. And For someone that suffers with depression and anxiety, I think that is so exciting because, yeah, a lot of people feel like, you know, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, trauma are a life sentence. It's like you said, you know, you kind of get this the end. But no, neuroplasticity says with certain actions and feelings, we can really move forward and change the structure of our brain and create new neural pathways. Yep. Yep, exactly. The brain is amazing. There's still so much we don't know about it. But what we do know, it really lends itself to this idea that we are never done anything, None, not done learning, not done growing, not done experiencing. I met this woman recently who uh, she said, there's a reason we're called human beings. It's an action verb. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. You know, people saying like we are human beings, not human doings. And I think that's really important because in today's hustle culture, in, you know, this productivity culture, really, it feels like we place our value on like what we can do and what we produce when, you know, I've come to the realization that we are worthy regardless of what we produce. Like we don't need to earn rest. We don't need to earn food. We deserve those things just because we are, because we are alive. Yes. And, you know, I think especially right now with COVID, we need to be gentle with ourselves about, how much we're doing. I feel like everyone's productivity is shot. Everyone's mind is in five different places at once. We're all trying to juggle so many things. And, you know, we're in a collective trauma right now, which is going to affect everyone in different ways. And so we really just have to kind of focus on ourselves and, and survive in this moment and try to get those neural pathways in a direction that is healthy for us. Yep, absolutely. And I, at the beginning of COVID and quarantine, people, there was this sort of meme going around the internet being like, well, Shakespeare wrote King Lear when during the plague. And I was like, okay, but Shakespeare also wrote like 40 other plays, which means all Shakespeare did <laughs> yeah. was continue doing his job during the plague. So you can too. You don't have to produce something new. He just kept doing what he did. Totally. Yeah. I think, you know, those things are like, such pressure inducing things. You know, I was having this kind of feeling like a month ago, I was like, oh my gosh, it's been six months and I'm not fluent in Spanish. I didn't learn how to bake (laughs) anything. And I didn't learn a new skill. And I was feeling kind of bad for a second. And then I was like, girl, chill. Like, you're not that interested in those things. And you're just trying to survive like everyone else. And if people are doing that, cool. But that's not what you have done. And you don't need to judge yourself by like, I didn't learn how to bake and become fluent in Spanish in the six months of quarantine. Absolutely. So, you know, we're talking about neural pathways, the brain, 
And I really want to talk about this concept of self-actualization. I read on your website that you help women take steps toward self-actualization. What is that exactly? And what are some actionable steps that people can take to move towards that? Yeah. So self-actualization, it's a concept from something called Maslow's hierarchy. And Maslow, uh, Abraham Maslow was a researcher. And if you think of the hierarchy, it's like a pyramid. So the bottom level is like food, shelter, water, the things we need to literally survive. And then as you start to go up the steps of the hierarchy, it's things that make us not just animals, but humans who connect to one another. So community, family, happiness, and all the way up to intention, purpose, self-actualization. And the reason that I say on my website is I help women work towards is because I want them to know that it's not the end goal. You don't reach it and stay there forever. And I always talk to my clients about emotions like hunger. So I say, if you eat the best meal of your life, five star, so good, you are satiated, you think you need to roll home and you're like, I'm so full, I'm never going to eat again. Well, you know that that's not true, right? That's just being hyperbolic. Same with emotions. You could be so happy. It could be something like the birth of a child or a wedding or just a day when you're feeling amazing. And to say, okay, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm never going to feel sad again. That's just not fair to us because we're going to. Sadness is a counterpart to happiness. Hunger is a counterpart to feeling satiated. And so if we just think that we're like reaching for the brass ring of staying in a fixed state of being, then we're going to be unsatisfied and disappointed when that sadness creeps in or that hunger creeps in. And so really reframing the mindset that self-actualization is not a state that you reach. It is something that you strive for. And that is part of uncovering your own value system and understanding like why you exist, why you work, what you want out of your life. And those answers might look different at 25 than they do 35. And that that's okay too. The working towards is going to be an ongoing process. It's not a state of being that you reach and you stay there. And so really, I would say actionable steps start with mindset shift. You know, what I just said, like to not assume that you are not self-actualized. It's not, like I said, a state of being, it's a process. And then really thinking about what do you value? What values do you hold? Why do you work? And, you know, I, my practice and my book, I have a process by which you do that because so many people will say to me, I mean, I get it, but like, I don't know what my values are. How do you even know? And so I break it down really easily because I think that's a really hard, lofty question. And so we need someone to walk us through who's like, this is how you do it. And then let's talk about what values come up for you. I love that you mentioned Maslow. I'm such a huge fan of his work. And I think self-actualization is really about finding that purpose. Like, why are we here dealing with some of those existential questions? And you're right. You know, it's, a constantly moving target. And it is really about the journey rather than than the destination. And I know that sounds trite, but it's really true. And I think we need to focus on that because so often people have a goal and they reach it and they're like, what's next? And a lot of people have this kind of concept of like, I'll be happy when I pay off debt. I'll be happy when I'm in a relationship. I'll be happy when I get my first home. And then, you know, those things happen. And then they're like, okay, I'm kind of happy, but now what's next? And I think, you know, we really have to learn how to be happy now throughout the journey and kind of get rid of this concept of like, I'll be happy when, and, you know, really strive for self-actualization and reaching those goals, but really enjoying the journey. Yep, absolutely. So you work with a lot of women and right now in particular, we kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the episode that the pandemic has hit them so hard, particularly parents. I, I can't go one day without thinking, how difficult it is for parents right now. And my heart just breaks. What advice do you have for women right now to help manage their mental health in this difficult time? 
Yeah, that's a great question and a huge one. Um, you know, I, I won't be able to speak to every parent's particular experience. There are some women who are going to be not even making it paycheck to paycheck and caregiving. And, and this is going to be a very different answer for them than it is going to be someone who's struggling with the balance of the work from home and caregiving life, but is stably employed and has a partner and has family support. So I will just say big picture forgive yourself. Whether you are, you know, feeling like you're failing at teaching kindergarten while you're also doing your full-time job or you're snapping at your kids or your spouse or your family more than you would like to or that you haven't washed your hair in 4 days, like it's all okay. We are in unprecedented times and what protects children is those early life experiences of feeling loved and cared for during a scary time. It is not perfectly aligning with state standards of education. And so in life, you can make up for information gaps, you can make up for experience gaps. But if your child doesn't feel safe with you, then the impact of these other experiences are going to be much more traumatic. So if what you have to do is, you know, stick an iPad in front of them for a couple hours so that you can do the job that allows you to keep a roof over their head and food on the table and health insurance for everybody, that's okay. You do not have to be an amazing teacher and an amazing parent and an amazing spouse and an amazing employee all at once. There's literally not enough capacity for that. Totally. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I feel like there's such a huge weight and people are feeling so much pressure. And, you know, I've kind of <laughs> lowered my standards completely. And I'm just like, if I can get out of this alive, healthy, and debt-free, then I'm thriving. Like those are literally my only goals right now, obviously. I want to achieve more and do more, but I'm just like, my level of success right now is staying debt-free, being healthy, and you know, being alive through all of this because it is a lot and it is traumatic and parents in particular are dealing with so much. And I think, yeah, like keeping them safe is such a huge part of it. And that should be, you know, kind of what's focused on at all costs. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that staying alive part, like we're not out of this. That is an absolutely very real goal that we all need to work towards every single day. Mm -hmm. I just had this realization, you know, with COVID, with the racial injustice, with the um, recession, like literally everything. I just realized, wow, if I can come out of this alive, healthy and debt free, like I am rich in my own kind of way. <laughs> that mm -hmm. is, you know very rich. And I, I want to kind of talk about this idea that you can be rich and wealthy in a lot of different ways, even if it's not monetary. I mean, if you're in good health right now, I think you're really rich in health. And that's something that should be enjoyed and appreciated. Absolutely. So since we're talking about wealth, let's get to a little bit money talk. You know, you um, talk with women. And I want to know, how can women improve their relationship with money? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the thing that I try to emphasize is that money is inherently valueless, meaning that it's not good, it's not evil, it doesn't have its own agenda. It allows you to do things you choose to do with it. And so for me, when I you know encourage the women I work with to negotiate or to invest or to talk to someone about an opportunity that they, you know, that imposter syndrome, that mean girl's keeping them from. I remind them that people don't want money just to sit on piles of money. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you healthcare. It can buy you organic food. It can buy you therapy. It can buy you a home that you feel safe in. It can buy you the freedom to leave a bad job, relationship, roommate, apartment, city, any of the above. 
And so thinking about money as not something that has inherent value in terms of what it represents, but that it allows you to pursue your values allows us to take some of the stigma and shame and fear away from money, whether it's that you're quote unquote bad with money or that money is evil or that capitalism is you know harming us. Like any of those things might still be true for you and they shouldn't prevent you from using money, leveraging money to get all the things you need in life to make you feel healthier and safer. I think it's really important that we evaluate our money mindset and kind of what beliefs we do hold and like you said, some of these thoughts can be true, but we don't want them to affect our financial progress and how we manage money. Like I remember, you know, when I was paying off my $81,000 in student loan debt, I really had to question my assumptions and my money mindset because I did think, you know, oh, everyone has student loan debt or student loans aren't that big of a deal or, you know, everyone's in debt. And I just had these beliefs, but they were really hindering my progress. And then once I hit a wall with my student loans, I was like, I really need to get rid of these beliefs and just pay off my debt. And so I had to have, you know, this shift where I thought debt is bad. Yes, like these other things might be true, kind of, but for me, I need to shift my mindset in order to make progress. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I had to do the opposite, which is that I was like, I am bad for having student loan debt. And then I had to realize that I... I'm not legally allowed to be a therapist without a master's degree, without licensure, without continuing education. So those were investments in this longer term, you know, career path that I have chosen that allows me to turn around and help other people. But yeah, exactly. Like we were both on opposite ends of a spectrum about our beliefs about debt and money and they're, they're harming both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, with these mindset shifts, like we have to just realize what our beliefs actually are and like where we want them to go in order to shift. And the thing with money mindsets is that often we're just conditioned by our friends or family or culture or upbringing to have these beliefs. Like I also thought, you know, oh, rich people are greedy or rich people are evil. And, you know, obviously if I think that, then I'm not really going to behave in a way that's going to build wealth. Mm-hmm. So this was such a wonderful interview. I wanted to ask, you know, if you have anything else that you would want to share with our mental health and wealth listeners. Yeah. Um, I mean, just be kind to yourselves right now. Be kind to yourselves and everybody <laughs> yeah. around you if you can. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've, I've distilled a lot of what I do with values-based work into my book, which is also called Forward and Heels, which is really like part, not memoir, but sort of part life experience and part workbook because so many people would be like, okay, great. Well, how do I do this? And I can only take on so many one-on-one -on -one clients at a time. So it's really been a nice add-on to say like, okay, read the book and then come to me with what you've discovered about yourself and we can go from there. So, you know, there's the book, there's Forward and Heels, the practice. If you're looking for, you know, as much as COVID is awful and we wish it weren't happening, it has opened up an opportunity for teletherapy and telecoaching. So really, I've been able to work with so many more people because they can call me from their living room. And so it's really been nice to open up that opportunity for the people who are in the position to take advantage of it. And you can come listen to the Feminist AF podcast and you can hear more conversations with women who are just kicking ass and being amazing. Yes, I love it. I love it. So where can people find you? Um, okay, so the Feminist AF podcast, obviously everyone's feminist is AF, AF right now. So all the handles were taken. So we are at I Am Feminist AF. And we are on Apple and Spotify and all those uh, places you find your, your lovely listening. And yeah, just I'm always in the DMs talking to people. So reach out, ask a question, ask for you know advice or an article, anything. I'm, I'm the one answering. <laughs> 
Yay. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your insights and everything that you've shared during this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you created this space. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.